Hello, welcome to The Future Strategist, and I'm back again with Greg Cochran for, uh, Greg, what I think is our seventh episode, uh, and we'll be mostly talking about uh, COVID-19. Greg, how have you been? I'm around. I'm, I'm reasonably functional. Okay, reasonably functional. That could be, could be worse. So why don't we uh, start with some the numbers again? Uh, do we have, I think before we were talking about the, the, the death rate from people infected in the United States was around 1.2% we estimated. Is that still a good estimate? Probably. Uh, uh, we have, I'm not sure whether we mentioned this the last time, but there is moderately new data uh, from several places. Probably the best is from uh, Spain, where they did a national uh, serological antibody test uh, to a, you know, a, a, a good survey a lot of people, 60,000, uh, random, uh, so it should be a good sample, uh, enough to even have good samples regionally. They found that about 5% of the population had had it. And from the excess deaths, that works out to about 1.2% uh, death rate in Spain. You, it could be a little less than that, uh, considering things got so out of control in Spain that you know there were places where you know, the staff and nursing homes just abandoned them, things like that happening. Uh, but it's something close to that. You know, some similar things happen sometimes in Italy, I think. Okay. And uh, what about what herd immunity would be in the United States? About what percent of the population would you estimate? Uh, I don't think we exactly know, but we have this. And this there's an interesting conversation on some of the details of that. But there have been similar things that were, as far as we could tell, less contagious. I'm thinking of the 1968 Hong Kong flu, mm -hmm. and it, in some places where I've managed to find numbers, like England, got up to 70% of the population before it stopped. And that's so, less contagious. So if anything, the it should be more than 60%. Although people have come up with ingenious theories uh, to explain why it'll be a lot less than that, although they've had a lot more trouble explaining how to change the past to make it a lot less in previous exam similar examples. Because, you know, the theories were, of course, you know, there was a logical point in what they were saying, but they were also wrong. Uh, uh, but, you know, enthusiasm. They wanted it to be less serious, but they haven't figured a way by their, their wanting things to make the exterior universe change. So you mean they've come up with theoretical reasons, but these don't fit the facts that we already know about. Yep. Yeah, that is that is too bad. Um, and some there's occasional articles about we should be optimistic because far more people have it than we thought, meaning the fortality rate is much lower. Is that still utter crap? Yep. And just we we've gone over this before, but this is so important. We know that's utter crap because you have a disease that spreads exponentially, so it can't be that a lot more people had it in the past than the present. And given the fatality rate, if there was a huge number of people that had it a long time ago, we would see the bodies. So this uh, sort of... We, we also would have seen current... You know, we had a different set of tests that detected current infection. Uh, these PCR tests that you pick up the ge genetic material of the virus. And they've been available earlier mm -hmm. uh, than the antibody tests. And they also would have noticed, hey, a lot of people have it. Uh, the people who were... Uh, uh, a Stanford group, the most famous of which was John Ionides, although I don't believe he was the guy doing most of that work, 
Uh, there was also a group at, I believe, Oxford that was arguing for that. And as far as I could tell, every one of them was clinically insane. Uh, by the way, the Swedish uh, uh, establishment on this had similar ideas, and they were wrong too. But and they're sticking to their ideas, even though when they take tests of Sweden, you know, they said, well, we must be up to 20% of Stockholm having it. And then they take it, they do tests. They said, oh, actually, it's only about seven. Well, it must really be much higher because it just has to be. Right, because awful things can't happen to the world. If you kill Genghis Khan's ambassador, it's probably going to work out okay because... Well, I would say that in their case, which is different from the Oxford case or the Stanford case, their advice was important in, in the Swedish response, which has not worked terribly well. And... There's the, the question of personal responsibility in the case of some of them. Okay, so this is headed, if we get heard of the United States, to an additional at least 2 million U.S. deaths. That seems reasonable. We, we can hope for something better than that. Of course, we can always hope. Uh, you know, our general response has not been terribly effective, although it hasn't been as determined to be wrong as that of Sweden. Uh, it hasn't been anywhere near as effective as, say, Taiwan is probably the best example of a country that uh, has done well. Uh, and uh, But we may have, you know, rather than let this go on indefinitely, we may have useful treatments, say vaccines, perhaps early enough to make that number too high. Maybe we will stop it before it gets to be that big. Maybe, we'll see. but two million additional American deaths is very plausible. If it might happen, uh, uh, if it's trickling a lot, it's complicated. I mean, the reason it has slowed down is because of people's actions, because of people distancing, because of people staying home from work, sometimes wearing masks, various things like that. It is not because you know so many people have already had it that you're running short of people to infect. Excuse me. That uh, number in Spain was about 5% of the country had had it. Mm-hmm. And there are um, indications that's kind of a, you know, you're seeing similar numbers in other places in Europe. Uh, probably the number in the United States is similar. It might be 4% have had it of the United States. Mm-hmm. But that's in no, by no means close to anything like uh, herd immunity, uh, which is probably at least 60, probably higher. So, you know, what is stopping it is a certain change patterns of human activity, and if people stop doing those, in particular, if they stop doing the most effective parts. I mean, these different changes people made, some were more effective than others, some were more expensive than others in terms of you know, difficulty for people. Uh, 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 it looks as if you know, some states never adhered to it very strongly, yeah. Some are sick of it and are not, are not going to continue to adhere to it, but there are degrees to all these things. I mean, if you have a place that formally says lockdown has ended, but then people still, on average, act pretty cautiously, you might, for example, uh, if they did enough things like wear masks, uh, there might not be any growth. There might are not might be below one, but it very easily. But since it doesn't look as if it's gotten drastically below one in most of the United States, probably a lot of places when you relax, it'll go above one and it'll start growing. And of course, there's other, and there's places where that appears to 
to be happening, or some of them, it never really went below one in the first place. About, I mean, you know, we've there's been protests, of course, first the you know conservative protests, and then the much larger protests on the left. How long will it take before we know whether these protests are going to cause a huge increase in the spread of COVID? Well, it depends how long they continue. Uh, there's there's a lag time between, uh, you know, you catch things, uh, and then there's a time that passes before you yourself become infectious. That m- number might be 10 days. And then, since this is a, you know, a, a growing process, it might be that it's only, you know, suppose it had been suppressed till it wasn't too common. During this protest stage, uh, let's say temporarily R0 was 1.5 in some area. It would grow by 50%. That would manifest, if it wasn't too big before, you might not notice. 1.5 times a small number is not that big, but it would speed up. You know, if, if the growth after the end of those protests was 1.1, it would continue to grow, but it would have had a boost. Or if the protests and riots continued, it might grow faster. Uh, you know, these things are not instantaneous, but they're real. As, as I've said before, it feels as if and I feel this way a, a bit myself. People's t- sense of time is distorted. So they, you know, you get the feeling somehow, well, it only increased 10% in a week. That's harmless. Mm-hmm. And it might not be incredibly noticeable, but any process that continues to grow 10% in a week for very long turns into something enormous. Uh, there are a lot of weeks in a year. Uh, yeah, and we've pretty much given up on trying to convince people not to crowd together if they're doing protests that our particular tribe approves of. Uh, I haven't, but I made, made, made my, my tribe's well, apparently pretty small. Yeah, you, you uh, know, they're probably mostly listening right now. So, Well, some of them are in the backyard uh, working on the sprinkler system, but uh, uh, yes, uh, there has been, um, there's been a lot of irrational reactions and and other things which are perhaps not directly reactions, but you have to wonder if there's not something connected uh, yeah, with the, this general situation. I've been utterly horrified by what's going on, and again, by by all sides. I mean, it, it's just this is such a bigger deal than anything else. I mean, you know, also the, the crazy irony of protesting a guy who was killed by depriving him of breathing by spreading a disease that often kills by depriving people of breathing. I mean, they weren't deliberately trying to spread the disease with a protest, but that's probably well, going to happen. Well, if, if you're, as we have occasionally dis- discussed before, if you're assuming that this is all part of a plot of the simulation, it's, it's it fits, you see. It's supposed to be this way. Yeah. Because it's funny. Well, it uh, Mind you... You know, that probably means whoever's watching is the sort of people who really like Black Mirror or something. Uh, but, you know, I can't control the audience. Uh, well, then, uh, you guys, you got to give us a good way out. There's got to be something we can figure out, you know, some... Perhaps a switcheroo or... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there doesn't have to be. I'm, but, but typically there is. I mean, if we're talking... If you think of the world as sort of, sort of uh, you know... Uh, 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 all our actors, uh, like the, all the world's a stage, yeah. okay? Uh, then, well, I mean, I'll tell you, a lot of Shakespeare plays don't have a very happy ending. I can, uh, what was it? Like, who are the survivors of Hamlet? Rosencrantz and Gilderstern? Uh, everybody else is dead. But there were certainly others that were a little cheerier than that. 
Uh, I don't think, you know, Macbeth, at least the good guys win, even though some of them are killed. Uh, but uh, that doesn't have to be. Uh, uh, now, I did not anticipate every bit of this stupidity, except in a, I was aware that it's certainly possible for people to suddenly start getting screwy in large numbers, because history shows that. And because I've seen it occasionally in my own lifetime. But, by the way, you shouldn't have to live through something to at least believe it's possible. Uh, we have books, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But for most people, it, it actually does require it. They, they can't take things very emotionally serious. And that's actually one of the problems with this is the last time, you know, the 1968 flu was not as serious, but that's the last fast-moving plague that, you know, that anybody around can really remember. There was, you know, AIDS is a much more slow-moving plague. And by the way, we didn't react very sensibly to it, but it's a different kind of transmission and so forth. Uh, and um, people had trouble taking it seriously. Now, that means there's something wrong with those people. You should be able to take something that can be described logically. It's happened before in history, and it, you shouldn't have had to have it happen to you. St but I could say that about a, a serious war, and history seems to show that, in fact, people don't take it seriously until they've been through it. Uh, you know, Peter Turkin has talked about that that after you have a really good thumping war for a generation, maybe two generations, people who were in it or, let's say, learned a lot from, say, listening to their dad, if we're going two generations, right. they say, yeah, let's, let's, let's not, let's not. Like after the Napoleonic Wars, uh, statesmen in Europe, you know, they were worried about it. They didn't want a big war. Uh, yeah. uh, and, uh, and I think that's fair to say that after... World, it didn't really happen in World War One. On let's say it only happened on some countries in World War One. After <laughs> World War Two, uh, I would say all the countries involved were saying, "Yeah, we've had enough of that," uh, including the winners and the losers. People were saying that was not fun. Uh, 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 so, uh, but but it doesn't. But people said, "Well, why should you have to pay sixty million lives to learn a lesson?" Would you could just have read a book about the Napoleonic Wars? The answer is, well, people aren't like that. They don't learn that way. Yeah. I, I've just been amazed. I mean, there have been people on Twitter, I deeply respected, who are just saying, well, the lockdowns aren't worth it. I just, I, I'm amazed when you just do s the simple math, like how could it possibly not be work worth it? Or people who don't think you should be forced to wear a mask when you're outside. I, it seems to be a mask. A mask is a fairly low-cost intervention. By the way, is there, I mean, you you know who you're thinking of. Is there any chance that I had any respect for any of those people? The odds uh, are against it, because, you know, I don't respect that many people. Yeah, I was going to say that. So, uh, but there were certainly prior. people who, uh, there were, I mean, there were certainly people I only knew a little bit about who, you know, under pressure turned out to be fools, uh, I, I think. Uh, uh, some of them very vigorously so, uh, but... Uh, you know, uh, in a general sense, I don't find that surprising. Particular people could be surprising, or a particular case which you wouldn't have necessarily known would elicit this. But, you know, if you read enough history, you realize that, you know, people can respond very poorly, particularly to situations that are kind of new to them. And that uh, 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 one other thing which I, I kind of think, I, sometimes I think this is more common today, 
<clears throat> but it was probably always coming, which is, you know, they'll lie their face off. They, uh, uh, but one thing is things like Twitter can help that because uh, although, you know, any form of communication probably has a similar effect, but it's quicker on the Internet because people start making up stories and sharing them so they have more ammunition. And you could be in a situation where you had not personally made up any of these stories. Right. So you are not personally, you don't may not even know that what you're saying is false. Uh, but, you you know, you have a, a vocabulary to start talking about things with that's, you know, you a, a bunch of people together were crazier than any single one of them would have been by themselves. Yeah, it should uh, be the other way where you get more feedback and you correct your viewpoints in real time. What does this what does this should mean? Uh, I remember uh, seeing some things in science fiction where they had very fast communication. And eventually it led to a state that was, you know, like much more advanced and say more accurate in various ways than ours. Uh, I was thinking of some stories by Werner Vinge, yeah, uh, sort of libertarian science fiction. And I remember thinking, why do you think that would happen? Uh, uh, necessarily. Uh, or even at all. Kind of I think of, you think of a country like China looking at the United States. I doubt the government's thinking, oh, yeah, we need a free press, given how we've... Uh, well, they might be right. I mean, uh, I mean, maybe you can think of a better way to do it. I mean, there's certainly been people who said things, you know, Jefferson said things, and I'm probably slightly misquoting him, but not the gist of it, that if you let opinions freely contend, you know, the correct ones, the objectively truthful ones will uh, eventually win out. But I'm not actually sure that's particularly true. Uh, it doesn't really look like it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, other people have said similar things. Uh, uh, you know, John Stuart Mill, but I don't think he's right. In fact, I think he was fairly good at coming up with the wrong answer personally on, on some of these things. For example, when he, you know, his position and people like him was that uh, uh, it was education and circumstances that were responsible for the great, you know, that people's abilities didn't vary all that much, their inherent abilities. And, you know, that's wrong. I mean, they do. They do vary. I mean, the other things matter also, but inherent abilities vary a vast amount. It's like he never sat down. He never had to take a class uh, in an ordinary high school full of ordinary people. And, and of course, he didn't since he was you know, learning Greek from his father at three. And, you know, it, he may not have been exposed to uh, a, a truly representative sample of humanity very much. Uh, uh, but, you know, there are other famous examples that you have to wonder. By the way, you could imagine a situation in which freedom of speech was close to a perfect guide, but there might be occasional exceptions. Yeah, of course, the problem with restricting speech is it's going to be more like people like you and me who get their speech restricted. Not necessarily. Not if I were king. It would be. Well, I but, would probably not restrict my speech, and probably not yours very much. Thank you. But uh, there was. We're but unlikely here's to an example. King. Here's an example. Well, you never know. Uh, example. Uh, uh, there was some agitator who'd been expelled from uh, some countries in Europe and was now coming over to England. And I believe the German government said, you know, you should do something about this guy. This guy's a dangerous asshole. And. Uh, uh, limit his publications and things, which, by the way, was not the way England did things in these days. And so the the question came up in the House of Commons. The Prime Minister said, "Well, you know, I, I'm sure that you know that that's it's better to let people argue, and you know, the right answer will come out." The guy was Karl Marx. 
Uh, and, you know, now it might be that people would have made similarly large, dreadful mistakes in the 20th century, even if he had mysteriously uh, ended up as a floating corpse in the Thames. But, you know, with the wisdom of hindsight, it wouldn't have hurt to try drowning him. Just you know, you, you don't actually have to go that far. You, you could, you know, send him to Australia or something. It would have been better to make sure that he didn't write anything more, yeah. in my view. Uh, uh, and there have been other people. You could say, yeah, maybe we could have done without this guy. Uh, but that's, again, that's hindsight. But then we also have to look at the people who had great wisdom, who they, others wanted to censor them. Like, I mean, obviously Galileo was... Uh, what, what, what other additional things would he have said had he not been afraid of... Well, well you know, Galileo, it's, it's interesting because, you know, lots of other people did similar things and didn't really get into very much trouble. Uh, Kepler, for example, who was a, you know, a contemporary and corresponded with him, Although he found Galileo kind of impossible, because Galileo was impossible. See, some of his problems was that he was as abrasive as he could possibly be. Let me tell you, by my standards, he was <laughs> yeah. as abrasive as he could possibly be. Uh, uh, there could be a correlation and, between being abrasive and being a brilliant innovator in terms of ideas. It could be. It could be. Uh, although, you know, I don't think everybody who ran into Kepler thought he was a hopeless uh, asshole. Uh, but... Uh, Certainly a lot of people have found Newton hard to get along with. I mean, there, there may well be a correlation. Uh, but, uh, you know, like when uh, Galileo had his, you know, dialogue on the two world systems, and he's talking about, uh, you know, uh, one of a geocentric model and a, uh, a model in which the, the sun is the center. Actually, come to think of it, did he even talk about that? I think he did. But at but any rate, in, when he was contrasting models, he has some guy named Simpson. You know, it's a dialogue, and there's a guy named Simplicimus, who's the idiot, okay, in the dialogue, and and everybody, there's the 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 guy he picked sounds an awful lot like the, like he's supposed to be the Pope, and, and you know you didn't you could have made the point without trying to piss off somebody that powerful. Yeah. Just say, just say. I mean, I like Galileo; he did good work, but uh, you know. Uh, Maybe no. it was signaling, like, you know, unless I was really, really smart, I wouldn't be doing this. Because... I don't know. I mean, I can think of I can think of people who didn't care too much about uh, what, if what they said irritated people, but going out of your way to irritate people can actually be a mistake. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but you know, uh, well, it's an interesting question. But, the, 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 but part of the underlying thing is the question is, does... Uh, does truth or useful things, do they tend to win out in the long run? I said, well, it's always possible that the long run is something much longer than we've seen. Uh, but uh, lots of people ended up believing certain things purely because they wanted to about coronavirus. Uh, and and, and they, they, they came from at least uh, something of a variety of political positions since you had... Uh, now the you know the group at Stanford I don't actually know their politics I I, I simply don't know but you know they were arguing uh, Bhattacharya but the more famous guy was Ionides that this virus was uh, very widespread and had a very uh, low uh, which meant but perhaps we were closer to herd immunity 
and that it was also uh, less dangerous than it appears it actually is by fairly large factors, 20, 50, numbers like that, uh, in terms of what fraction of infected people died. Um, I could never understand why they thought that, other than that it would be nice. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, there was never any evidence for that at all. There was bad evidence for it, I should say. Uh, you know, the, the guys at Stanford did some early serological studies, but the, one of the problems with the serological study and when the disease is, in fact, very rare is you can end up with lots of false positives. I mean, most of the signal you get may be false positives. Right. Like, when it's fairly common, that's you're still getting false positives, but they're not very important. Yeah, they're I mean, not swamped. If you get 21% when the real number is 20, that's not a really big deal. When you get 1% when the real number is zero, that is a big deal. Uh, and they also managed to uh, uh, have a, an unrepresentative sample in that everything uh, they did in the Bay Area because people were, you know, there was a, a Facebook uh, connection telling people that uh, this is a way to get, a, if you're worried about it, this is a way to get a free test which would tend to be enriched for people who maybe had actually had it. Yeah, so selection bias. But if we, for the numbers, I mean, what we, we've gotten new information about what's happening in poorer countries, like Brazil and India. I saw something where they're, in India they were saying the death rate appears to be twice as high adjusted for age as is it what you'd expect from Italy. That's unfortunate. I don't know, and I think you're seeing some similar trends in Brazil. Yeah. But okay. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know... Has it to do with, uh, I mean, there are possibilities, and I, I simply don't know. Like if I say X could happen, but I really don't know, I mean, I really don't know. I'm just throwing out possibilities. Like what if it were the case that having uh, a case of tuberculosis uh, increased your risk? Okay, I mean, and that's purely made up out of my own head, but except that I know tuberculosis is pretty rare in Italy, and it's not so rare in India. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there could be other things like that, uh, uh, or, uh, or you know, the quality of hospital care. Maybe you're saying with pretty good care, we're not losing that many people. Maybe with less good care or less available resources, we are losing more. Or other things are possible. They said maybe, uh, maybe it took a bit for the virus to adapt to a somewhat different situation, and it's changed a bit. I, that's not impossible, but I don't know. Uh, uh, so, I mean, it's unfortunate uh, that that, you know, it, the virus may have changed, become somewhat more virulent, more virulent, but it, there it could be other local factors and the virus may not have changed at all. But whatever it is, it's unfortunate. Uh, now, India has tried hard to get a control on this. As I understand it, part of their thought would be, has been, we are not a rich country. We don't have an enormously... Uh, 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 you know, we, we don't have an enormous medical infrastructure. We can't afford to let this thing get out of control, but it doesn't mean that they succeeded. Yeah. But it seems to me they made a very serious effort. So, yeah, we do we know, is there medical care that Americans and Italians got that we know made a difference that maybe a lot of people in India are not getting? There are some very fancy things that probably are hard to get, like extracorporeal uh, respiration things. But I don't think that was never used by more than a tiny fraction of people. Uh, I don't know enough about it to answer that question. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, 
I don't think I know why. Uh, I haven't been following it closely. I mean, I've been following it closely enough to know that it is becoming a growing problem in India, and it's grown faster, uh, you know, probably in Brazil, uh, who did not make all those. I mean, there are people at local levels and individuals who tried to do things, but the government in Brazil has been, you know, as hopeless as any. Yes, yes, they. Uh, and they uh, um, and I think we're getting to the point where there are now more deaths per day in Brazil than the United States, at least some days, uh, like a thousand plus a day. And uh, there seem to be parts of the world where they're getting far fewer cases. We'd have thought, like in, in Indonesia, Vietnam. Do you think that's They've been lucky, skillful, or could there be something going on? I mean, in Indonesia, it would not surprise me if we're simply not getting it reported very much. Mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam, I get the strong impression they just don't have it right now. And why? I know it, it seems to, you know, if you had enough proximity to SARS, uh, even if you didn't have it directly, you might have taken it more seriously. It was only, you know, neighboring countries that had a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so being more alert, taking it more seriously, uh, having a, a fairly effective authoritarian government, you know, that's certainly Vietnam has that. Uh, uh, and combined with a certain suspicion and actually disliking the Chinese could have been helpful uh, in uh, correctly parsing the, all the stories out of it, say, more rapidly than some other people. The Taiwanese, you know, they have a, I'd say they probably have a lot of knowledge on how much to, you know, how much to believe and how much not to believe out of China. Right. Probably more than anybody, other than Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, and Vietnam, I don't know if they don't have quite the same close tie. I mean, like, you know, there's all sorts of manufacturing companies in Taiwan that, you know, they make up a good fraction of the of the companies in uh, China. They have contacts everywhere. They can talk to their cousin. Uh, but. Uh, but Vietnam seems to have acted quickly, decisively, and kept it under control. Good for them. Uh, but I said, it's easier to do things decisively in an authoritarian government, or if you, by some miracle, have a sensible government. But, you know, how often does that happen? Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's almost most countries, the politicians involved, just don't have any feeling or understanding for this at all. As a, Only in a few places where they determined to make things a whole lot better, I think the there was somebody important in the Taiwanese government who was actually an epidemiologist. Yeah, the right. vice president, I think. Or yeah, that minister. sounds right. But I think that's the only case like that I've heard of where you actually had, you know, it's unusual to have anybody with any scientific knowledge of any kind in a democratically elected government. Yeah. It's not common. Uh, uh, or any other kind of government, I might add. Uh, it's kind of unusual. Yeah. Is, uh, it, is it possible that there people in, say, Indonesia have some natural immunity because they got a related illness that there was people, some... People have wondered about it. You know, there are other coronaviruses. Now, they're not... There are only two that are very close to related. We know those never spread far. Those were SARS, which hit like a total of 8,000 people ever, okay? And MERS, which was, you know, like that's when you're way too friendly with your camel. Mm -hmm. uh, and that hit even fewer people. But there are others that are more distantly related. And the question is, could there be cross-immunity that's in some sense useful? It's not logically impossible. There are things like this that have happened in history. Uh, that was the basis of the uh, vaccine for smallpox. There was another different virus that was antigenically similar enough. You know, the, vic the vicinia virus, the thing that caused ca 
cowpox that it was gave useful immunity. Now this doesn't happen too often, but it happens. Now I don't think that these other coronaviruses that people have, which tend to be very mild things, which we call the common cold, I don't think they're probably close enough to make any difference. One reason is is like people said, well maybe that would mean that the herd immunity level is a lot lower because a lot of people have already had it. I said, well, but it's already got up to like up into the 60s in some towns in Italy, the fraction infected. That is, that says probably not. But I mean, who knows? Maybe it would have been 80 without it, or maybe there was a regional uh, virus in Southeast Asia, because Thailand Thailand hasn't had any real trouble either. I don't believe. Uh, maybe there was a regional virus that gave some accidental cross shielding. I don't know. I haven't heard of any hard evidence for it. But it is logically not impossible. You know, like, one, one of the way, points I would make in thinking about all of these questions is you need to make a couple of really sharp distinctions. There are some things people said, couldn't X happen? And X is something that's never been seen anywhere. It's just something that they decided to start worrying about. Uh, like, you know, what if, uh, or, or something that has been seen, but it's extraordinarily rare, like three viruses out of a thousand at this property, and people will talk about it as if it's likely. Uh, another thing is, if we have something which is a reasonable possibility, but which for which there is, in fact, no evidence, people will try to build on that as if it's a logical building block, saying, well, you know, probably X is true, and the answer is no. X was possible. You can't really say it's, it's you know, most of the time when people were saying, uh, oh, probably this is true, like, probably it's seasonal. The answer was no, maybe it's seasonable. Some of these things are. Some of these aren't enough to matter. Uh, some of, if it's infectious enough, it might go from an R naught of three to two, and it would still spread pretty well in the summer. Even if it's, it is changing, it may not be enough to matter a whole lot. But people, I have seen many people, people who were not spectacularly idiotic, talk about something that there was a moderate chance of being true, and then trying to build a, a logical chain on it, full of other things that might be true. And when you have even two of these things that you're using as your assumptions that only might be true, you're probably wrong. Yeah. You need to stick a, you need to keep a strong distinction between the maybe true and the for sure true and the others, the almost certainly false, etc. And I see a lot of people in this particular case going wrong on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm not talking about all the people who, uh, for example, do not know what a percent is which I ran into a number of them on <laughs> I saw that on Twitter, yeah. Was I, was, wasn't I polite and, and at the same time incredibly harsh? Uh, well, it was... What I did was I, I, I politely explained to the guy what a percent is. Of course, that also points out that he's, you know, a real pinhead. <laughs> but I was polite during the entire exchange. Uh, and he was not the only one. I've seen lots of people, lots of people can't get simple numbers right. And people say, well, yeah, but I'm a human being. I vote. You have to respect me just as much, even though I cannot do the simplest quantitative thing. But I don't respect them just as much. <laughs> I mean, I maybe don't want to strangle them, but I said, you're useless on this and on the vast majority of all questions. You can't do the math. And, um, and most people, by the way, can't. I mean, mo more people could do percentages but trying to understand something about the pattern with uh, things that involve exponential growth, and not only that, but variations in the rate, rate of growth depending on what people do and so forth, 
most people appear to be incompetent. They can't do it. I mean, yeah. they really can't. Uh, they, they will say terribly wrong things. You know, like the point we made earlier about uh, it is unlikely that vastly more people have had it than currently have it if it's a rapidly growing exponential process. Right. Uh, and I thought that was obvious, but it was, I mean, let's say I thought it might be obvious to those guys at Stanford or to that group at Oxford, but it was not obvious. Uh, and uh, now, by the way, I, I have a circle of acquaintances for whom it is obvious, but they are more mathematical. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, but I mean, it means that they're simple, important things in figuring this out that, that hardly anybody could do right without somebody holding their hand and probably threatening to hit them on the head with a hammer at the same time. Uh, uh, like, so how many people at a cabinet level or higher of, of a Western government could, could visualize this or write down the equation and at least look at the curve for those of you who are limited visualizers. Hardly any. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't see any sign any of them could do it. Uh, who would it be? So, you know, the, for most people, understanding these, or, you know, or people said, well, you know, we've beaten it down in some places, and we certainly have. There's very many fewer cases in New York City than there used to be. Probably, you know, tremendously fewer. What would happen if New York went back to its old ways in every way. It would start growing again. And it wouldn't take too long because New York, uh, being crowded, having a lot of mass transportation stuff, is an easy place for it to grow when people are acting normally. Uh, how long would it take to get to be as big as it was before? I says, I don't know, a couple of months or a, a month or three months. You know, there are unknowns in there, but it would be something like that. And I know all sorts of people said, well, no, it's not, it's not like it's going to come back. And I said, why not? And they'll just look at you and says, well, because that, again, most of them are saying, because that would be awful. But awful is not a plan. I mean, it's not an argument. It's, uh, I, I don't know why they think that. Well, uh, do, you, do you think everyone wearing masks when they're outdoors near other people, could that keep R0 below one? Even more important, if it was masked indoors with other people. Uh, outdoors is a hard, you know, there were a bunch of things people said that were wrong because of limited information, okay? Right. And we all make that kind of mistake. You can't. It's unfortunate, but there's nobody to blame. But some of these things were borrowed from other diseases, which are different. And by the way, some of them never really even be established for those diseases. Like, all the talk about washing your hands, I said, you know, it could be useful, but I bet in terms of how important it is, it's like 10 down the list. Mm -hmm. This is a respiratory bug. You get it from other people breathing or coughing in your general direction and inhaling. Now, or they say, well, it's really, well, like I was reading about an, um, an MD who was saying, well, masks are bad because they make you touch your face more. He says, I don't actually know that touching your face spreads this at all. And he didn't either. But it was, you know, he was saying it, and he gets to say it because he's a doctor. He doesn't have to know what he's talking about. He's a doctor. I mean, doctors usually don't know what they're talking about. They've gone thousands of years without knowing what they're talking about. It never slowed them yeah. down. Well, what are the important things? So, so wearing a mask when you're indoors and someplace other than your household. I mean, if you were out in a group of people who were close together, yeah. uh, particularly if they're all yelling or singing or something, uh, a mask is a good idea. Okay. I, mean, a ma I mean, just having the mask as a default thing to do, as long as you're not trying to run a marathon. By the way, their answer right now is don't run it right now. Do it another time. 
But, uh, um, you know. Well, I have a weird math, math question. I mean, a math question. I have been wearing them when I go outside for, for walks and I try to go quickly. It is harder for me to breathe. Am I, like, hurting myself or am I, like, helping myself because it's more intensive exercise? I mean, it's ignoring the coronavirus issue. It's not fun to wear a mask, and uh, some of it is how used you are to it. But, yeah, it's a little harder to breathe. It probably isn't doing you any harm. Okay. I mean, if there was, people in Taiwan would be falling off their bicycles, okay? They're all wearing masks. So uh, I'm not, like, doing a tiny bit of long-term damage to my lungs by probably breathing in more carbon dioxide or something? I don't think the carbon dioxide is a problem at that level. But, you know, it's hard to say it's exactly zero, but nobody's ever, you know, there have been people who wear masks for more freely than they do in the United States and East Asia for years, and there's never been any sign of trouble from it. Uh, it's not like they have a <coughs> unexplained growth in, uh, in COPD or something. I don't think so. And they smoke more than here. So, yeah. Anyhow, I don't think so. Okay. But uh, it's not ridiculous to ask, uh, but I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, the big problem is, you know, enclosed spaces means it, it, it doesn't flow to, I mean, like if you have something that floats away so it never happens to get to a human being, it does no harm. That's a lot more likely outside than it is inside. Outside is big. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if something floated, like suppose it gets to be eight feet tall, only Andre the Giant would have been at risk, and he's already died. Uh, suppose, uh, you know, and, and it's probably true that things like ultraviolet in, on, on, in, in the sun are that the half-life of the virus is not terribly long in, uh, in outside situations. Uh, but it's mostly a breathing thing, mostly. You know, could there be a little bit? I mean, I wouldn't tell somebody they were wrong to wash their hands, but I'll bet a mask is a hundred times as important. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, if you were, you know, working in a hospital, I'd do many things to try to reduce. You know, if I was in a place where I was exposed to patients, I would wash my hands. I uh, read that doctors in New York City actually were, were less likely to get it than the general population. They were wearing masks. That's amazing, and that really shows something about masks. I mean, they must have been massively masks exposed. Are pretty, masks are pretty potent at slowing down transmission, and you know, which is two parts: spreading and picking it up. But they are also, in terms of how much trouble they give. Uh, are, you know, they give a lot of gain for a low, fairly low amount of trouble. And of course, we I mean, the CDC was telling us not to wear masks at the beginning of all this. And so WHO only changed its tune like about four days ago. Yes, uh, and of course, that's YouTube because censor. I mean, you know, YouTube is censoring people if you don't follow the CDC and who. And Did they actually say, censor them the other way when they told when you said to wear masks? I don't I, know if that actually happened, but the the mask story is. Well, see, one thing that has not helped, hey, this didn't help, okay? Uh, the, uh, as far as I can tell, you know, there were, uh, there was a, a strain of thought, probably the dominant strain of thought among public health people that mass, that is among, in the West, nobody thought this in Japan, Korea, China, but they thought it in the United States and Europe, you shouldn't wear masks. And they would give reasons that were probably all bullshit. Some of them were things like, uh, uh, well, there was the behavioral economics one, which we've talked about. Uh, uh, I'm not that, sure. We, we've talked about it privately, but I. Oh, that, yeah. But, that's but, the impelsement uh, effect where the idea is if you wear a seatbelt, you'll drive in a more risky manner, and that might more than compensate for wearing a seatbelt. 
So the idea is you're wearing a mask to get closer to other people than you would. But, that I, might but by the way, that isn't a pure loss because it's actually better to get places faster. Uh, the, uh, I mean, if you had people who were saying, I can now do some of my job, but that means I'm taking bigger risk for that. I said, well, but but even if you're in the same place risk-wise, you're in a better place job-wise, which is a good thing. But apparently it simply wasn't true. We now have pretty good evidence. Uh, by the way, there was some, uh, you know, some uh, looking at a bunch of studies in the past that made it look like it was probably a good thing to wear a mask. But in, you know, it, in principle, it's going to be different at least a little bit for different diseases. So in a sense, we know more now about this one than we did, which was in Germany, they they basically had mask orders came on at different times in different federal states in Germany, and you could uh, do an analysis and see how it affected the infection rates, and it ends up showing that masks are pretty effective. And do we do you have information about what kind of masks are better than what other kinds? Um, I think most of them are useful. Um, you know, probably the N95 and surgical masks are the best, but almost any mask anybody makes is at least moderately helpful. Uh, by the way, the, one of the things they were saying is people won't wear them right and they'll be worse than wearing no mask. That wasn't true. That was just, you know, most of the things people said about this weren't true. I don't quite know where they came from. Uh, uh, there was some talk about this with, uh, with, I think, SARS that, you know, or was it MERS? One of those two that, oh, masks are a mistake, but they were not a mistake. Uh, and, you know, there were a number of, of, not, not just wrong ideas, but wrong ideas that had negative consequences uh, uh, in the epidemiology and public health community. Part of the general thing is the general belief was that uh, attempts to restrict, you know, for something like a respiratory disease, the attempts to restrict, uh, you know, to use quarantine, social distancing, various ways to restrict spread, they were doomed. Nothing could, the only thing you could do was to wait until you had hit herd immunity. That was that's what they taught them in school. Yeah. Now, and and it's not totally crazy. I mean, like no one really, with very rare exceptions, like the guy who ran American Samoa, no country, no town, almost no town, managed to keep safe from the great 1918 flu epidemic. Yeah. They tried, some of them. Uh, they did not succeed. Uh, or rather, only a very few succeeded. Uh, but I don't think that's the reason people came out against quarantine. It just sounded old-fashioned. Things don't have to be wrong. They can just be old-fashioned, and that's actually worse than wrong because people don't seem to get much trouble for doing wrong things, but old-fashioned things, those are bad. Uh, uh, any rate, that was the general sense. Now, what happened is the Chinese, the Chinese government, paid no attention to that general sense at all. I don't know enough about what they were talking about inside the epidemiological community in China. They may never have paid any sense. I don't know whether it was a government decision or whether the consensus was different inside the Chinese scientific community, but they never believed it for a minute, and when they got into trouble in China, they jumped hard on it and they stopped it. Uh, and I have seen several things written by people in the Western epidemiologic community who said, this changed my mind, maybe it can be done. Uh, but there's other people whose mind did, did not change, didn't even influence that seems to be, to me, what happened in Sweden. Because the people in Sweden says, we know that the only way to stop it is X. And I said, but Taiwan and South Korea stopped it in a way that involved almost nobody even dying. They said, it's a myth. It couldn't have happened. 
or it won't continue to work or something. They just said, we know. Okay. And another thing uh, is, you know, they, they have repeatedly in Sweden said, well, you know, it's, we're already pretty close to herd immunity. At least 20% of the people in Stockholm will have it. Then they do a test. They said, no, it's not 20%. They said, it is anyhow. It has to be. Again, as I said, part of it, maybe they, they worry about personal responsibility for this error. Yeah. But there are several places you can use as good examples. You know, uh, pretty much not even just East Asia. I believe Austria has done pretty well in some other places. But most, you know, the best examples are places like Taiwan. Uh, well, and, Taiwan uh, has an advantage being an island. China is certainly. You know, I don't really think that's the, I mean, yeah, because England's not an island. Well, Ireland's not an island. Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it could help a little, but I don't really think that's it. I think they just decided to do it. By the way, some of these things have become technically easier. One thing you didn't have in 1918 is you, you couldn't do a test to see if somebody had it. Or not easily. Okay. Actually, if they'd known a little, just a little bit more, they probably could have, but they didn't quite have the technology. We do. We can directly detect the virus. And we developed that ability very early. You know, these PCR tests. Uh, so that helps. Another thing is there are ways of gathering information and sort of automated much more easily than could ever be done in 1918. Things like, people's cell phone apps being used to help keep track of people and contacts and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there are things that technically made this more possible, but but it didn't happen in the United States. I mean, we didn't end up, I mean, some of these things only work when you have reduced the number of cases to a fairly low level. You know, we talked about some of this in the past. Yeah, there we are did. Things that, there are things that affect it, but they don't scale up indefinitely. You need to get, you need to crush the epidemic to get it down to those low numbers and then you can use these useful but non-scaling approaches. But we never did. We never, I mean, regionally, there's places in the United States where it either never got big in the first place or where it's probably small enough to do this. But I don't think we're doing it anywhere. And now with the protests, that's just going to make contact tracing really tough, almost impossible. Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, I don't know how effective outdoor protests are going to be at transmitting this. Probably some. Uh, People were singing and chanting. A bunch weren't wearing masks. Well, that's actually bad. But it, but outdoor is better than indoor. Uh, we'll know more soon enough. Uh, certainly none of the people uh, who were instrumental in this and most of the people, you know, they weren't busy thinking about it or anything else as far as I can tell. Uh, I, you know, the, I wonder if we will know because this is something the press is not going to be honest about. Uh, there are people who are keeping track of this who will probably tell you, and the numbers aren't going to be secret. It is true, that, you know, the press is is not so all powerful that, you know, they can make the average person not hear, like they can take something that's extremely rare, you know, and this is kind of a problem. We have 300 million people in the country. If you have something that's extremely rare, and then you talk about it all the time, you can pretend it's a trend. I don't what you're referring to, but yeah, sorry. Oh, I'm referring to many things. Yeah, okay. uh, but, uh, uh, for example, I mean, I, I could, if I wanted to, start talking about, you know, the growing threat of lightning to Group X. And we have talked about other things that are rare as a trend, okay? So why not, you know, lightning? You know, lightning is oppressing the Amish or something like that. Uh, I mean, the Amish probably get hit by lightning sometimes. They're, they they work outdoors a lot. Uh, the, uh, you know, uh, I mean, sometimes this is comical. There was once, somebody was noticing that, 
now and then you can find a meteorite uh, in a field that somebody's been farming because you'll see a rock, and it's the only rock. The rest mm -hmm. is just dirt, okay? Uh, and this works particularly in a place where the soil is deep and there are very few rocks. In New England, it wouldn't work. I mean, you know, like, what was it? What was the famous field that somebody sold to send John Adams to college because he didn't want to have to farm? The Stony Acres? Mm -hmm. You know, all the fields where people built the walls out of, out of the rocks they took out of the soil. But there are other places where the, you don't see any rocks in the soil. And, in fact, this is an easy way to detect a meteorite. Kansas was one of those places. And people were noticing we were seeing twice as many people, twice as many meteorites per square mile in Kansas as in some other places. But it was purely because it was easy to identify. But this resulted in a science fiction story once upon a time called The Gods Hate Kansas. But, you know, but that was a joke, okay? Uh, but it is easy to, it is easy, well, all right, here's an example. I presume this is controversial, but I don't know why. Uh, anorexia is a serious problem for somebody who has it. Yeah. And there have even been people die of it. It's not unknown. You can get heart damage and things. You know, you're starving. Okay. Karen Carpenter died of it. You know, a fam moderately famous person. Singer. Okay. Somebody wrote an article years ago, I think this was back in the 80s, in which somebody said, first somebody said, 90,000 people suffer from anorexia. I'm not sure about that number, but it might have been right. Somebody else misunderstood it into 90,000 people a year die from anorexia. Okay? And that's a different statement. Uh, and it's a substantially different statement because it meant that you had twice as many people dying from anorexia as you did from auto accidents. It means that you had as many people dying from anorexia as you died from lung cancer. Okay? Or breast cancer. It was, you know, all, and many articles were written by it, about it. Okay? People said, oh, yeah, it's a bit bigger problem than I thought. I said, no, you're dumber than, 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 than anybody would have thought. Because the, there were people who died from anorexia. The estimate I found is after people finally said, oh, this, this is kind of embarrassing because it reveals that all our columnists are, are totally without understanding of anything with a number in it. The number, real number was 90. You know, something like that. And they couldn't tell the difference. They couldn't tell that if it was that common, they should have known somebody themselves who had died of it. I have a feeling, like, I mean, in the Twitter age, of course, this peep, journalists would be called out by someone. So I think they're probably responding by just not using numbers, not, you know, it's sort of safer. People are not terrible. Problem rather than, I don't know, think investment. anybody was deliberately distorting it. I think they were just clueless. But then the cluelessness got amplified because... Most, I mean, many other columnists and writers couldn't see that this was obviously stupid because that's what they are. They don't know anything. They can't, they don't make little checks on things involving numbers to see if they're possible or plausible. Uh, uh, and, or there was another thing around the same time. Somebody was spreading this meme that a million children are kidnapped each year in the United States. Well, most people see secretly, they don't really know what a million means. I mean, the number of children born each year back then was maybe three million. So they're saying, you know, if you think of it in steady state, that would mean that eventually, a at some point in their lives, a third of all children are eventually kidnapped. Yeah. Guess what? That's not true. Uh, now, they were trying to lump in things like custody disputes, whereas 
you know, state X said the mother had the rights, state Y said the father had rights, and if one, you know, if either of them have it, somebody can call it kidnapping. Uh, but, by the way, that didn't get you up to a million. Mostly it was just made up. It went, and report after report after columnist after columnist talked about this because they were all totally clueless as to what a million even means. Well, we had something recently like that where I forgot that, the, the television show, but a bunch of people were agreeing that if Michael Bloomberg, right, instead of spending the money he spent yes. on his campaign, he gave that money to the American people, he could give each American a million dollars. Yeah, that's because, uh, I mean, which, you know what this reminds me of? Uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who wrote the Tarzan stories, he also <laughs> wrote a series of stories set on Venus. And uh -huh. in one of them, we run into a race that looks sort of like humans, but they actually divide, like an amoeba. Mm -hmm. And we run into one malignant member of it who's who somehow he he's some something's wrong with him. He he can't divide. And uh and he's like he's sort of a wannabe human and he ends up kidnapping uh our hero's girlfriend, although what he's supposed to do with her, I I have no idea. Uh he be missing some important parts. The uh but finally something happens. <coughs> I believe he's eaten too much and he triggers the response where he's supposed to divide into two individuals, but in his case it doesn't work right, and he dies saying, "I'm dividing, but I can't divide." And uh, today, if he was a real person, he would be on the New York Times editorial board, uh, and many other places. Uh, uh, by the way, the kidnapping story—it went on until eventually there was a young journalism student. I believe she was a Cal State Fullerton, and she pointed out and. She, you know, this went on and on, and without anybody pointing it out, it went on for at least months. Mm -hmm. She said, uh, none of this is true. No, it is not true that anything like a million... says the actual number of kids that get kidnapped a year, counting every possible case, was like, you know, several thousand, four thousand, something like that. <coughs> and most of them weren't classic, uh, you know, kidnapped for ransom or anything. Well, those included some of the custody disputes and stuff. Uh, but, you know, nobody else could be bothered you know, nobody else working in a place like the Washington Post could be bothered to see that the thing made no sense at all. They yeah. can't count. I mean, now, what was the political reason for not understanding and not being able to uh, count in the case of anorexia? I claim there was no political reason. If there was, I could, I, I, I had no sense of it. They're just that way. <coughs> They're not any good at this. Uh, now, mind you, if you do have a political motive, it helps even more. You know, I, there's no reason to take any of these people seriously who can't even count. Well, they have power. Um, do they? We'll see. Well, I mean, well, for example, there was a guy who was, I think, he, he's involved in political research questions. I mean, Peter Shore, who I saw, he had quoted some paper saying that riots can redound so as a bad political influence for the uh, for a left wing party that they might lose support. And and he didn't write the article, and by the way, the article's perfectly correct. You can lose support from things like that. And he was fired for mentioning a truth they didn't want to hear that, by the way, would be practically useful for them to know. And I thought that was a good thing. I'd like them to be just as ignorant of reality at this point as they possibly can. But yeah, anyhow, lots of things are like that in which if you're relying on simple... I mean, you know, there have been, uh, you know, there have been wars fought over things that I'm pretty sure were losers. You know, that both policy, the policy of each side, if they got it, was one that hurt them more than 
than if they'd done nothing at all. Uh, I mean, people fought wars over mercantilism, but it doesn't really look like mercantilism has the effects that people hoped, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, they said, yeah, we've won. We have all the gold now. All you have is, like, you know, a big piece of country or something. But that would probably leave you worse off because of a wrong theoretical idea. But it is easy with a large population to... Uh, I remember a science fiction novel that made this point. I think it exaggerated a little bit. It was a fun way of doing it. The guy's saying, when the population gets so big, uh, roughly speaking, he's saying, we now have, let's say, five sigma things happening where it used to be only four, something like that. So uh, he would, uh, you know, in his imaginary examples in this book, like one of them was, a, you know, somebody, a fireman, who goes into a burning building to save children and ends up leaving, carrying them, and he's walking on his burned stumps because his feet have burned off, and he still does it. You know, something just barely at the edge of possible. But his, the point was, you will see more things like that in a very big population. And then they had another example of somebody who'd done something exceptionally horrible, but the, the point he was making, you'll see more of both. You'll right. see people, a better thing than you ever saw before, and you'll see people who did a worse thing. And it's not because the people had actually changed, or even the behavior patterns, it's just they were bigger samples, uh, which, you know, there's some truth in it. Uh, uh, I mean, there are things that would happen in the United States of two or 300 million people that you might not have seen once in 20 years back in colonial days when there were only, say, 3 million people in the United States. Uh, I mean, even if, in the, you know, people had not changed, really, you could still see, you know, unusual, you know, like if you have one serial killer for 20 million people years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe they didn't have it any for, you know, for 40 years in Massachusetts in the 1700s. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, stuff like that. Uh, rare things. Uh, <coughs> but uh, <coughs> the bit about sharing, um, you know, sharing uh, talking points, which are largely false, uh, lots of people, you know, explain that the uh, uh, the risk of uh, coronavirus was very much lower than it turned out to actually be. You know, there's probably places, by the way, it's lower than 1.2%. There's probably places that's is only 0.7 or something, okay, uh, depending on variations in medical care and stuff. And there may be places, unfortunately, in poorer parts of the world where it's higher. I mean, I hope it isn't too much worse, but it's kind of looking like it's some worse right now. Uh, so, uh, but the people were saying, well, the people were saying everybody's already had it. That was, in every case, based on nothing at all. And now that we have serological numbers, we know it is not true. But people are still saying it. Fewer, I think. But I'm not, and I can't figure out why. I mean, the Swedes, for example, they found 7.5% in Stockholm. And they said, it's got to be at least 20. And they said, there must be something wrong with our test. And I said, why would you say that? I mean, you know, there is no model that would tell you exactly how fast it grows in a way such that it was, I mean, you'd have to be wildly off. The problem with an exponential process is if you're a little bit off in your parameters, you can be a lot off in how far it's gotten, okay? I mean, suppose it's growing 20% faster than you thought over a period of time. That could mean you had 10 times as much as you expected at a certain date. Mm -hmm. Or if you made it in the other direction, you could have 10 times less at a certain date because, you know, it's sensitive. A little change in the exponent makes a lot of difference. Uh, uh, by the you know, there are things like this in physics. Uh, the, the chance of an atom decay, 
uh, turns out it depends exponentially on the width of the of, uh, of the fission barrier. Uh, uh, and it's very hard to measure it accurately or to calculate it accurately, so it's hard to tell in advance if you make a new isotope what its half-life's going to be because you have to estimate, you have to know certain quantities to less than 1% in order to be able to figure it out, and normally we don't know them that accurately. So, you know, the way you find out the half-life of a new isotope is you make some and then you watch because it's hard. You can say sometimes, well, that one's probably going to have a pretty short one, or that one's probably going to have a pretty long one. But, you know, it's hard to do because it depends very sensitively. And that's kind of true with these, in epidemiology. Uh, so, I mean, what was the re you know, the main reason is Sweden, the Swedish government and its advisors look bad, and so they're hoping something miracle will happen so they won't look so bad. But, uh, like, like when they came out with those numbers in Spain that said, yeah, it's only 5%, and yeah, that means about 1.2% death rate. Again, mostly old people. Uh, they said, well, it can't be that. They said, well, that's an interesting reaction to the only data you've got, and it's solid data. I mean, this was well tested and so forth. He said, well, but it, it contradicts my theory. I said, well, you never had any reason for your theory in the first place. But, uh, uh, Although I, I always had an alternate theory for Sweden, which is they were trying to kill as many Swedes as possible. Yeah, I, I spent a couple of months in Sweden. I, it just doesn't seem credible. How many, what I did you really learn to understand the? I didn't talk about society. I talked about the Swedish government. Uh, but uh, I mean, most of the things they do, they show like they're hostile, particularly to native Swedes. They don't like them. Uh, uh, just, why? I, I don't know. Doesn't seem reasonable to me, but but let me just go into a new topic in that sure. for testing the vaccines, how important is it that we have what's called human challenge trials? Where it's we, a good thing because it's faster. But and, let's explain. Yeah. Uh, so a human right, challenge trial is where you don't just give someone the vaccine, give a whole bunch of people the vaccine, and see who gets the disease. You give them the vaccine, then you expose them to the virus. You deliberately and quickly expose them to it. I mean, you know. You, you give it enough time that you know the vaccine is taken. But instead of waiting for a random process for the guy to maybe catch it, which, you know, if you're doing a good job regionally, it might not even be running around in your neighborhood. You, you, you take volunteers. You probably take people who are young enough that if they do catch it, their odds of serious trouble are not very bad. And I'm sure that you are ready to take care of them if they do get sick. Uh, but you deliberately expose them after they've been inoculated. And then you can find out how effective it is quickly. Challenge trials. People have done these in the past. They haven't done them very much recently because if, if you have plenty of time, if you would rather not take, there's some risk. You'd rather not take it. Uh, although truthfully, <coughs> I don't know if the risk is that much worse than, uh, you know, waiting for them to accidentally get it. It's mostly just quicker. Uh, but you know, speed is important and uh, I see a lot of support for challenge trials. I think they're going to happen, but I, I don't know if anybody's formally said for sure they're going to do it. But I think have they? I, no, I think from what I've read, they haven't happened yet. And but it's not that tough to to get like a you know to develop a vaccine based on a weakened version. Of the they virus, have several right? approaches. They have killed versions. They have weakened versions. They have protein. You know. On the last I heard, there's like a, well over a hundred different efforts going forth to build vaccines. So we already pro we must already have a whole bunch of potential vaccines that could be tested right now. There are at least three I know that are ready for stage two trials. And you think time would be really important doing that as quickly as possible? But... You need 
to adjust people's mindset to an ongoing thing as opposed to, yeah, I suppose this is a good thing, we should eventually do it. They're not oriented to doing things super fast, but, you know, if you had the right people making the decisions, it's possible to go much faster than than people have been saying. Uh, uh, you know, people confuse, uh, you know, how long it takes, you know, there are different questions. One of them is how long it takes in terms of uh, knowledge, how much it takes in terms of building facilities and doing tests. And then there's going through bureaucratic hoops. Bureaucratic hoops can be short-circuited if people want to enough. Uh, I know people say that's not possible, but of course it is possible. Uh, uh, but you have to decide to do it. You just need it to happen somewhere in the world. I mean, you don't need probably we don't the U.S. government. I mean, <clears throat> at this point, we don't have evidence that there are substantial difference, qualitative differences in the virus in different parts of the world. There could be at some point, but right now, uh, and you know, by the way, you could have a fair amount of difference, and it still might work as a vaccine. The vaccine is whether certain proteins are similar enough that the response, the uh, antibody response to them is similar enough to make things work. I mean, for example, uh, cowpox is similar enough to smallpox that it works in the sense as a vaccine, but in terms of effect of its effects, it's entirely different. You know, it's very undangerous, while uh, uh, smallpox is quite dangerous. So you 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 could have, if you had a regional variant that appeared, that was worse or better, uh, the vaccine would probably still work. Now, whether it will work forever, I don't think we know, or how long. Most vaccines work fairly long. <clears throat> However, there's some evidence that with other coronaviruses, and again, they're not real close, that uh, antibodies fade fairly rapidly, like a couple of years. Uh, by the way, I think there probably is some knowledge of how fast coronavirus antibodies fade, and I don't know what the answer is to that, but I suspect it's already known. All you would have to do is test people a few years after 2009. Yeah. I am, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think they don't vanish real fast, but I'm not sure. Right. Uh, but at uh, any rate, uh, I would say that you know we haven't done nearly as well as we could have. We haven't done nearly as well as Taiwan. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the experts, I mean, I could, I could look for a case where we have a political class that, uh, such that, uh, you know, any given emergency, at least some of them would say, oh yeah, I'm a master of that. I know exactly what to do. Uh, I can't, and other, and unless the crisis involves selling cars or, you know, trying to fleece a widow out of her estate, I don't think we've got people like that. Uh, 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 but you would hope for better among the professionals of the CDC, but you'd be wrong. The CDC has done poorly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, their advice, their general attitude of quarantines, although they have revised it, was wrong. Their attitude on masks, although they have revised it, was wrong. They were supposed to be the people who would quickly ramp up to produce a test, which, by the way, was something that could be done fairly easily. As I said, I knew people who could make it in their lab themselves over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Or I had friends that knew such people. They were, they were sisters of friend, a sister of a friend of mine. But, uh, the CDC said only we could do it and then they didn't do it. They made yeah. one that didn't work. 
Yeah, it was much so, worse than they f- failing to do it. They didn't let anyone else in the United States do it. Now, people said, well, the CDC must have had terrible budget cuts. I said, I don't know. They're up to a few billion. Uh, by the way, what was the budget of that sister? I said, I'm pretty sure that, you know, she just, you know, it probably cost, you know, 200 bucks max of, you know, stuff that she already had in the fridge. Uh, I mean, she only made a, maybe 10, 10 tests, but, uh, the CDC has no, ex- there is no excuse in terms of funding. I mean, unless you say, well, we need all the funding in the universe, because other than that, you know, that's not enough. Uh, they got plenty of funding for this. Yeah. And they were doing things like making, you know, campaigning against vaping, so they weren't really laser-focused on... Well, I feel like they always have to be doing something, I suppose, but uh, uh, I think um, I think they've done quite poorly. I think WHO, and I know of some very good things that the people out in the field have done in H- WHO over the years, sometimes recently, mm-hmm. you know, things like... Now, that was a while ago, you know, a long time ago at this point, but they when they wiped out smallpox in the wild, but they've done other things that they've been heavily involved in, like uh, guinea worm eradication and other things. But, you know, at the top, you know, they're idiots. Uh, The guy at the top is an idiot. I was telling people, you know, they would be better if they had Roger Daltrey running the hoop. Who is Roger Daltrey? Oh, that's the... You're not musical enough. That's the who. uh, Oh, okay. uh, The music group, yeah. Uh, The... uh, but he probably would be better. And he probably doesn't know anything about any of this stuff at all, but he'd probably try. Uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, that's been unfortunate. Uh, our health bureaucracy, uh, look, you know, Fauci does not mean to cause trouble, but he was probably wrong on every one of those things I mentioned. And I've seen him be wrong on AIDS. He'd been around for a long time, and I've seen him, not everything he said, but on important things. The CDC was wrong about AIDS. Uh, uh, and for that matter, although it wasn't as cosmic because it didn't spread very much, they were wrong about Ebola, too. If there was a way to be wrong, they would be wrong. So what I'm worried about, if, if there's another pandemic and the health authorities say, well, you know, this one is really serious, you need another lockdown, people just won't believe them. There's a difficult problem when you have the powers that be are either dishonest or sometimes purely incompetent. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, that the wolf doesn't actually come at some point, right? right. Uh, the uh, like I've heard people say, well, if if health professionals say it's okay to go out and do uh, protests uh, and loot and ignore distancing, that means we never had to believe them. I said, well, it's not actually that simple. Some of what they were saying was true. It's just that they're, they're wounds. Uh, and in real life, you have to sift what people say. Some of you may have people, there's certain things they know a lot about. There's certain things where, or certain days in which all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues. Uh, there's other days in, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate. They said, well, can't we just say so and so is telling the truth and we can trust? But I said, you generally can't. Uh, I mean, there are some things you could, but, uh, <coughs> yeah, it's, uh, there's really no substitute for at least having, <coughs> say, if you have some record of whose predictions came true and whose didn't, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, like when I say politicians are helpless, like, you know, right, what, what politician, and by the way, there were some, apparently, in China, but in places like the U.S., 
somebody said, well, should we be wearing masks? And all his advisors say no for at least a couple of months. Now, if I were president, I would have said, well, all right. Although, and, and we would have done it anyhow. Or what if, uh, what if your advisors say, well, I don't know if it's a real problem yet. Let's suppose it was, say, February 6th. That's because that is what they were saying then, as you remember. Yeah. Okay, well, again, simple solution. I, I knew it wasn't. Just, list, just let me be king. There you go. Uh, yes. Shall we continue in this vein? Uh, well, there's not really a path to making you king, though. So There is always a path. I just don't want to do it. Uh, okay. The, uh, uh, but uh, although it is, as I said, a gig. Uh, but uh, the point is, are there other people besides me who could be, you'd be fairly raw? I said, there are, but, you know, they're kind of a, typically they're not people who would fit very well into politics. There are people who are fairly good at understanding new things and dealing with them and stuff. But that's, you know, it would take great good luck to take a person who is good at ordinary politics and was also good at those things. They're kind of, I mean, I don't think they're contradictory, but they're at least uncorrelated. Uh, uh, but I can't think of, uh, I mean, the closest I can think of is that for a while after World War II, there were national leaders who had personal experience with scientific advisors and had learned, at least to a good approximation, who they could trust because they worked with them during the war. Mm -hmm. And you could say, look, the guy said I could do X, and we did it, and it worked. Okay? And I think there's no substitute. You know, it doesn't mean that the leaders were scientists, but it meant they they had people they could go to and and believe. And they also knew the importance of that kind of advice. Right. Which had been shown to them for sure. Uh, they said, well, um, you know, you'd think is this been true since? No. I mean, pollsters are really important to politicians and campaigns, and that's, you know, mathematics, and they, they're used to relying on pollsters for telling them what to do. So you'd think that might bleed over a little bit into, like, well, we need people who are good at math to... Explain you would things. be wrong. Uh, yes, there, that was think simple. theoretically that should but also I've never heard of it happening. Uh, although, uh, what's his name? Who runs 538 or founded it anyhow? Yeah, Nate Silver. I've seen worse. I don't think he's... I'd say he's probably worse at being a pollster than a lot of other things because one thing that would occasionally be helpful for a pollster is you have a fairly good intuitive feel for, say, large chunks of, of the voters, and I don't think he does. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he, you know, I follow him actually pretty well. I mean, he seems pretty competent at polling compared to... Either do uh, you. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, but there are worse it? faults. Yeah. Uh, and I don't claim I'm terribly good at it, but I'm way better than he is. Uh, uh, by the way, most of what you want to do is just statistics. One thing he did that showed... He he got to a certain level, which not many people do. Uh, in the 2016 election, he said, "Well, you know, there's a fair chance. I mean, a fair chance, 28 percent. Maybe maybe a Trump will win." Right. He said, "What would that involve? That would involve correlated errors in the polls. Yeah. A lot of polls are wrong the same way." He said, "My research in the past suggests that has happened, not incredibly rarely." Okay. Now, insight would be somebody said. And I've talked to people, and I tell you, this is one of those times. That would be some human insight, which I don't think he had. But I think he did pretty well, considering that he didn't have any. Yeah, I do remember them saying that, the correlated error thing, and that's that, well, it's a subtle statistical point that a lot of people weren't getting, but it 
Well, I mean, right. if you actually remember lots of previous elections, you will know all those examples. I mean, now, he might not go back further because he could go back beyond a human lifetime, although not much beyond because polls only go back so far, say about the 30s, and then they weren't very good. But, uh, 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 for example, what was the one I was thinking of? Yes, in the 1980 election, I saw polls that were with, that showed a one point difference between, uh, uh, Carter and Reagan up to the Sunday before the election. That was a Harris poll. Mm -hmm. Reagan won by nine points. Yeah. And I thought he would. But also, I'm not sure that the Harris poll was wrong at the same time. There were the weird fluctuations, not just in errors, but in people, you know, being uncertain about what they wanted. Uh, but, uh, but anyhow, my, my point is that, uh, uh, you know, anyhow, he did pretty well considering that I think he has no feel for the average person at all, uh, which is, uh, I, I might even say he has the advantage that he probably knows he has no feel for the average person, which is, again, another step towards wisdom. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. It's certainly better to realize that you don't know something than uh, to think Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, evidently, you know, Hillary's campaign manager was saying, yeah, you know, all those guys, those factory job guys in the Midwest, they use the old Democratic fellow for us, even though we have fairly clearly expressed that we despise them. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you know, she got utterly stomped among those people and, and didn't even try to make a gesture saying, no, but I really like you. Uh, uh, although, I mean, one thing, to be fair, is, uh, you know, she was sick. Uh, you know, it probably took, what, 10 days out of her campaign when she got that pneumonia. Right. That, ha that happens. Uh, 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 but, uh, yeah, well, one of the things presidential campaigns test for is they're, like, nearly testing you to destruction. With, you know, yeah, how I, I mean, most so likely much. Trump you know, and or Biden will get the coronavirus. Uh, well, if they spread it, you know, like, ideally, they'd both be in a debate, they'd both get it from the cameraman or something. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, shit. Uh, well, that would certainly show something. I don't know what. Uh, but they're in a bad age for it. Uh, Very bad. Uh, but, uh, but at any rate, uh, you know, this is a, it's a kind of problem that conventional politicians are not good at. You can think of others that could happen. And they wouldn't be any good at them either. Uh, and it has a short fuse. You know, the time for action and decision is fairly limited. Uh, I mean, it is something you can do things, or was. I mean, it still would be if you were determined enough. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, to, to get through it in good shape, like Taiwan, you need to act decisively and quickly. And very few countries did. Certainly, you know, Western countries did. You know, we're not, uh, it's probably, nobody's ever said that, you know, Western countries are not run like a ship with a captain. And on the long haul, that hasn't worked that poorly, but there are times in which that is actually what you would want, and, and it is we don't have it. Uh, but it also has something to do with the political class, like, you know, in terms of actual technical knowledge about any question, typically they don't have any. I mean, I have run into this before. Uh, you know, I was mentioning all these examples involving numbers where you could have all sorts of fairly well-known people writing columns, but... It's all nonsense because they can't notice that, in fact, there are not 90,000 people dying of anorexia. There are not a million children get 
I mean, nothing like it, not half a million, not 100,000. You know, these numbers were insane, okay? But it, people don't, they, they can't deal with the numbers at all. Yeah. And they, I don't think a lot of people know what two million means today. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. We should probably uh, wrap this up. We've, okay. Yeah, been around an hour and a half or so. Uh, so, I mean, going forward, would you, you know, if you could have some influence over policymakers, would you say just pushing people to please wear masks and for... I would push masks. I would push test and tracing as much as we could, although, you know, we in most places we haven't got it down low enough. That's going to be super effective, but I would do what we could, and I would really push insofar as spending money could make a useful vaccine more quickly, I would say that would be a very good way to spend money. And not a personal note, are you, like, going to take out, getting takeout food? Are you going to the grocery store? I have, like, what kind of, for your skin in the game, decisions? Uh, we are now picking up things where you can pick up things on the curb at the grocery store. Uh, I think there's not a lot of reason to worry about takeout. I haven't heard of a case transmitted that way, okay? And I've been watching. Uh, so, yeah, you can order a pizza. Uh, probably other things. All right. When um, you get packages, do you open them up right away or keep them in quarantine? Or Some of them, most of them, except for a couple of cases where it was a plant. We knew for sure it would die. But even then, we were a bit careful with it. But let's say one thing we did. One of my boys had his wisdom teeth out, which meant fairly extensive contact with some other yeah. people. Okay. What we did was we, we, we isolated a corner of the house with his room and a bathroom. Mm -hmm. And he stayed there for... Uh, cut off from the rest of us until we were sure he hadn't caught anything. And I didn't enjoy it, and he didn't enjoy it, but it worked. Good. So we did an internal quarantine inside the house of about two weeks. Well, that's pretty serious. Well, yeah, but it, you know, it seems to be necessary, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, we can still talk to him all the time. <laughs> uh, and, and he was still, and hell, he mostly plays computer games anyhow, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, I know what that's like. <laughs> uh, he, uh, uh, any rate, that's that's what we did. I I wish it was not necessary. It's done now, though. Uh, we may have to do it again at some point if somebody has a medical appointment. I mean, if like I had a medical appointment where I went in, somebody took a measurement, and I was gone in three minutes, exposed to one person, both of us wearing masks. I wasn't very worried about it. Mm -hmm. But you know, when when they have you in there for an hour and a half, and they're reaching down into your mouth and pulling out your molar, uh, it seems to me that's a much bigger exposure. It does. And so it would vary. If you were just, if you wanted to have some, you know, so some things I would not worry about too much, something where they were, you know, you had to have an extended physical exam or something, we might do the same thing again. Something, I mean, we're, we're I don't pretend to know exactly what the right answer is. Uh, we're doing the best we can. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, that's the sort of thing we're doing. All right. Well, thanks very much, Greg. Thanks for uh, appearing on the podcast again. And by the way, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jim D. Miller, and Greg is at G. Cochran 99. So it's Jim D. Miller and G. Cochran 99. And I have a, a Facebook group just called Future Strategist. So thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.